Welcome to Better Roads, a podcast with Randall Bach, president of Open Bible Churches. Everyone has a story to their journey, and God loves to participate in those stories. Join Randall as he explores another Better Roads adventure. And welcome to Better Roads. This is where we explore the journeys of faithful servants of God, and and we learn about some of the better roads they chose that have been pivotal to becoming who they are today. Ron Wilson was a successful insurance company executive who began ministering around the world. And upon retirement, he, he became a missionary at large for Open Bible Churches with his wife, Linda. And Ron was a gifted man with an amazing talent for connecting people and bringing visions into fruition. In fact, you know, other people might see a vision, but Ron was the kind of guy who could put legs on it and he would make it happen. And he also defied death for a number of years, overcoming a number of maladies time and again. In fact, around our office, we began referring to him as the bionic man, just because it was so amazing how he would just keep trucking. Well, the Lord did eventually welcome Ron into his heavenly reward. And Linda didn't give up the vision that she and Ron had for global ministry. And our guest today is Linda Wilson. Linda, thanks so much for joining us in this conversation. Thank you, President Bach. I really appreciate the opportunity to share with you today. Well, here's the thing. We we appreciate that you're continuing with yours and Ron's ministry to India after his passing. And we know that he'd not been in the best of health for the past several years. In fact, I know we ran a testimony in the Message magazine about the trip that you and he took to India. And he, he nearly died on that trip, but he supernaturally healed him. And and yet, you know, even though you'd faced the real possibility of Ron's passing before, it was on January 1, 2020. I, you know, Linda, I didn't even remember that it was right there on New Year's Day, January 1, 2020. You had to say goodbye to your soulmate for the remainder of your time here on earth. And so we want to visit with you today about, you know, navigating the, the new terrain of losing your mate, mate and then how you decided to carry on the work. So could we start off by just asking you, you know, what was it like for you during all this time of change, losing Ron? I mean, did you think God was going to do it again? He'd already done it before, you know, to raise him up. Uh, you know, were you, were you grateful? He didn't need to suffer anymore. Can you just share with us a little bit about what you went through? Well, some of the above. I mean, it it was, I faced it shockingly three years before when we almost lost Ron in mm -hmm. India. And quite honestly, I have a signed death certificate from India because the coroner or the wow. doctor there said, uh, you can't get him on a plane without it and he won't live through the day he'd been in the hospital. But I want to tell you, the saints in India didn't believe it. And though <laughs> he was in a coma, um, all, it was on a Sunday and all the church and, and Pastor John Paul, they said, he's not going to die. And they had the faith that they stayed there for hours and hours and they sang and they prayed. They knew they didn't speak English and he couldn't understand. And I said to them, sing, because he could hear that. And they did. And they sang and they prayed. And we even had a hospice nurse with us and they left us for the evening and said he won't live through the night well God had other plans and in the morning uh, after he was still with me he sat up and he said I'm thirsty do we have any diet coke in the house 
<laughs> and that wow. was the beginning of his um, very long story. But that's all that we need to know. God preserved him. It wasn't his time. Pastor Paul had told me, I don't care what the doctors say. It wasn't his time. And I was able to bring him home. And for three years, he lived beyond that. Three years that he mostly stayed at home. He had congestive heart failure. He'd had four heart attacks, bypass. He had he had way lived longer and, yeah. and cheated death. So, but he every morning got up and spent two to three hours on the phone, and no one knew that he was ill. And he didn't want them to. And he spoke to pastors and he said, Well, you know, our family motto is make lemonade because we're all uh, doers and goers and and charge forward and we we see challenges but we see and we try to see them as opportunities and that's what he did for those three years i continued to work and he didn't want me to stop but each day a camera sat on my desk and i watched him all day long because i was only five minutes away but he didn't want me to sit and be sad he wanted me to carry on uh we continued to talk to uh the people in India, I continued to go out and speak to the churches, and Ron prepared for his death. He he had his funeral planned. He had everything done. Mm. It was the smoothest transition for me, not a pleasant one, but he loved sure. me, and he cared yes. that things would be fine. So on the day that he passed, um, I had my car packed. I was taking a vision trip to India with a group and our granddaughter who's a nurse was coming to stay with her grandfather and um, didn't happen. The group went went forward, but as he passed on January 1st, we were able to keep him alive from the time we took him on New Year's Eve. The doctors, our doctor of many years, who was the head of the whole department was in the emergency room at 1030 in the evening God's plan, I know, but he was there and he helped us through mm -hmm. it and he was able to keep Ron alive until the family was there. And this is important for people to know that his testimony never, never wavered. Uh, we didn't see any visions. We didn't have visitations. But when the time had come that we knew we were at the end, I said to Ron, the kids are all here. The grandkids are here. Do you want to say something to him? And he acknowledged them as they came in, but his voice was very small, but in a very strong voice. Now, of course, in the movies, it would be take care of your mom. Everything will be great, you know, <laughs> love one another. But no, that was not Ron. That was not Ron. He was very to the point, And he said three things in a very strong voice. He said, Jesus is real. Everything you need to know is written in the Bible. Stop searching. Go save one more soul. Wow. Wow. And, and he went home. Final words. And I I was sad and I was joyful. Yeah. That's oh, where wow. all of us, because he had been in so much pain mm -hmm. and he lived on so much oxygen that it was very, just breathing was hard for him. So it was the, it was a very, very hard day for all of us, but it was a day that put us all at peace. Wow. I don't know, Linda, if that is so powerful. What a, what a transition into heaven and a, and final words for everyone he loves. And I, I don't know that 
mourning is ever totally over. Um, I, I, I know that uh, hearts ache for loved ones and, you know, until we're reunited in heaven, I, I don't think that will ever go away. But there does seem to be a point uh, at which we maybe kind of find our stride, you know, in the years after when we when we start stepping into what is then the new normal. Um, what's you've told us a wonderful transition there. What's what's been the most difficult part of that grief journey for you? You've had to walk through it. Well, the most difficult the most difficult thing is that we were married for 55 years. I mean, I look at it now and we were babies when we married in college and we didn't know, as I would say, sick and from come here, but we didn't know that. <laughs> He's a first child, the first grandchild. I'm a first child and the first grandchild. You're told from the time you're born that you're special, you're wonderful, you can do anything. And we, we believed it. You believed it. <laughs> so when you we, did set, it. we set out on our journey, both of us knew that we wanted to do something to make the world better. He was a sociology major with the warm and fuzzies and I was a poli-sci major. I was gonna do it <laughs> through the government, but we were gonna do it together. And that's what our ministry was. You said it very well. He, he painted a broad picture. He had a vision, God gave him that. And then when nobody was looking, he'd say, Linda, how are we gonna do this? Yeah. Because I was nuts and bolts. And he was the vision and people loved him and came to him. And I had to say the hard things to our family, to our children. But Ron was very loved and very blessed of God. So the transition he prepared me for, for three years, he kept saying, do this, do this, do this. And then he said, and when it came to the missions, he said, it's up to you. Whatever God puts on your heart. You can stop if you want. You can go on. And I kept saying, but I'm not you. But I'm not you. And never will be. But he did prepare me for that. And after Ron's funeral, which was on a day that was a blizzard, here's something you'll think is funny, but it was wonderful. His uh, funeral he planned, I told you that. It was on a Friday. I was told it was to be on a Friday at 2 o'clock because he knew there would be people coming, maybe from a distance. He wanted them to have a long weekend and not have to take off lots of work. And he didn't want the ladies of the church to have to provide lunch. So that was, that was what he, he that thought was, of it all. <laughs> he thought of it all. He had the time, but the funeral was wonderful. There were about 450 people at the church in the middle of a blizzard showing you how well he was loved and 1100 yeah. people online. Wow. In India, they, the church was open at 2 a.m. in the morning, and uh, they were there with us. Wow. After after his funeral and after he was, uh, the remainder of the group, most of it had gone ahead, but the remainder of the group, we went to India to meet up with them and to finish it. And this is where I can tell you God answered the question that I had in my heart and mind and that Ron had, and I had gone over. Because as I was there and mourning and trying my best to carry on and not knowing what I should do, I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional, but um, okay. we have a 47-acre farm in India. And it was 
flourishing at one time, and then through some mishaps, it fell into ruin. It has been sitting there forever. But there was a young people's group from the church had gone at the same time, and I was sitting on the porch with Anna. That's Pastor Paul's wife, Anna. And it was just the two of us alone, and we were reminiscing. And suddenly, suddenly I knew with an assurity that there was something left to do. And I could see that farm with such clarity and how it should be revived, and more importantly, why it should be revived. And Anna and I spoke about what we would do if we could do what we wanted with that place, what God would want, what we would want, what the church members would want. And it was very specific. We came back that day from the farm and uh, we were sharing with the group um, what had just happened, what we what we thought was something we should consider going forward. India has shut down our ability to build churches or orphanages at this point. So it, it just seemed like all was lost. COVID was closing in. Um, we couldn't get a permit to build churches. Uh, we couldn't get a permit to build orphanages. Ron was gone and I, I didn't see a hopeful future. But Dr. Er, John Paul's daughter, her name is Priya. She and I have worked together for 10 years building a bakery and we've become very close. She sat and listened to that and left the table and came out from her room with a journal. Priya is given to visions from God and she journals. She's done it since she was a small girl. Lots of them I could share with you, but this one is important. What I had described to her as what I was feeling God was calling me to do, she read aloud from her journal from 17 years prior. I have to tell you, at that moment, I didn't have to wonder if I was supposed to continue. It was clear then. It was clear. Mm. And so uh, has it been hard to do it alone? Because no, I still have the I'm not run. But what we're going to do is make it a retreat center. We're going to make it a place in the midst of Babylon, which we have everywhere, where the 450 pastors that we have in India can't get together. We took that time of COVID to take all the funds I was able to raise and feed the people of the streets feed the village people, they're day workers. They they work for a day, they get paid, they eat. And it's one day at a time. But we were able, because we had the bakery as well, we were two weeks in front of them. And I kept calling and saying, take every dime that you have. I had left, this is a whole nother story, but I had left her quite a bit of money to build a soccer field, which we're going to build in Ron's name. And I said, if you ask Ron, does he want to feed the kids or give them a soccer field? You know, there's no choice. <laughs> take that money, take that money and all the other monies that I've been able to raise from Open Bible and buy all the food that you can. And luckily they did that and their storehouse was full. 
and they fed people all over the neighborhood, sent it to the villages, kept the bakery going, and were able to weather the storm for many, many, many of our people and the people around us during that period of COVID. Well, Linda, uh, what a great story. God took a visionary and a nuts and bolts person and put you together. What a team. And so now you're telling me how the nuts and bolts person is making all that work with all these things. You originally had a vision for this, but you're adapting, you're making it happen. But three times here, you just mentioned about almost, almost in passing about the bakery. You said, you, you know, you can't build churches, you can't build orphanages anymore in India because of the governmental policy, which is very restrictive uh, for Christians. But Tell us a little bit about this bakery. What's that all about? Well, I'm going to correct one little thing about the, the orphanages. Because at the farm, we were allowed to build a building, um, which in Open Bible, we refer to as an orphanage. In India, it's a building on our farm. And uh, yeah, so that's right. We have built one new orphanage, but we have learned to use their vocabulary correctly. There you go. Now the bakery. Oh, the bakery was so much fun because I met Priya when she was nine years old. And for three years, she would not come out of her room when we came. She was so very shy. And when she did, we built a bridge, we built a bond, and I found she liked to bake. So over the years, I love to bake. I took her things for her bakery. And she started with her own little bakery outside of her father's church. She made cakes, and she sold them after church for a few rupees. And that was her missions project to the lepers. Um, as years went on, she kept baking, and I kept taking them. And a Hindu gentleman came to their church one time never before and never again. But he was the manager of a chain of grocery stores. And he came and asked her, would you like to have a small bakery in the corner of my grocery store? Long story short, she did. We helped her. I took so many bakery supplies that she couldn't get because we decided to make it different. Not an Indian bakery, uh, more a Western or a European bakery. And that's where it started. We had two stores, and after a few years, the the stores closed, and it had to go. So we opened our own cafe, and uh, this was my project. Ron was busy building churches, and I was busy building a bakery with Priya. And because I would go and I would teach her things, but she needed more than the two or three weeks a year that I could come, and she had people in the bakery, none of which spoke English. So I bought her an iPad and I filled it with Pinterest and ideas and taught her how to use it. And so she showed them and she translated into Tamil. We taught the bakery staff on, on an iPad. We built the, the cafe in the bakery on an iPad. Oh, we raised funds and built a cold room so she could do fondant. I mean, on and on. I That's my passion. Well, I can talk forever. I guess. Yeah. So the farm, we, our plan is to move it to the farm because they're shutting it down. Oh, wouldn't you know that? So, but what's the objective of the bakery? There's, you have more of your going than just the fact that she loves to bake. What happens with that? Okay. The bakery. Um, yes. Thank you for asking, because that is something people are confused about a lot. We started the bakery as a self-help project, as a means to fund the ministry. 
-huh. and to to make them a little bit more self-sufficient and uh it has made a profit but not a horribly large profit because it takes a while for a new business and for somebody a woman in india she has since gone to school and got her master's in business administration while doing all of this Wonderful. to help with this but it is the goal is to provide funds for the ministry but it is at this moment shut down just like everything else because the government is coming even though we rented the space as part of the compound where her parents and our church live, um, they use that as an excuse to say, nope, no business. So um, they're allowed to bake, but it's mostly for the family. We're not doing it commercially. We're getting ready to start it up again uh, as an online business so we mm. can. Let me tell you how it helped in COVID. This practical person who my husband always laughed at brought them lots of little things over the years. Well, in the last couple of, a few years ago, I took them tap lights and rechargeable batteries because their power is always out. He laughed. They loved it. In the last <laughs> couple of years, I brought them solar lights because their power was always out. He laughed, but he loved me and he let me, let me do what I wanted. Yeah. When we came to, COVID, the market was open, the wholesale market was open uh, twice a day, morning and evening. And we filled our auto ricks with baked goods, breads and so forth, and we took them to the markets. Um, in the evening, the markets were dark. Our solar lights showed all the people where they could come and get their baked goods when others couldn't. So it helped with income it helped with feeding people it was their missions project and income but that is our goal is to make it large to expand it mm -hmm. and to make it a profitable endeavor for for the ministry in india great vision now we're going to talk a little bit more about india but before we before we do that i want to swing back a little bit because um you and ron were always active before India came around, you were active in ministry in your church and community. I know that you worked uh, with the Hmong people after the Vietnam War. I know that you helped resettle Bosnian refugees after the Bosnian War. Uh, later on, you worked in the Des Moines Dream Center, ministering to people in the inner city. You two seem to have never allowed yourselves to get bored. No, no, we never did. I mean, those are the ones you know about, but we were... 30 years into our life before you met that we were always doing those things. I told you, Ron and I started our life running, knowing that God had something for us to do. We were always impatient for him. And I think that's what he was trying to teach us was patience. And, you know, that we didn't know what we didn't know. Yes. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for all the ups and the downs. And our mm -hmm. life was not always easy. We have four children. We had four children in four years with no family around. But we we managed and we tried to teach our children that uh, they were with us no matter what. We had 14 exchange students. We wanted them to know the world. We wanted them to know that God loved everyone. And we never missed an opportunity that or a door that opened for us to do that. And God opened that door for India when Ron was 53. I thought he was crazy. He, he retired one day. 
and yeah. came home and said, I've retired. And I said, what? I don't what? work. You don't work. You're 53. What are we doing? He said, our kids are out of college and we don't need so much. And there's something I'm supposed to do. And I'm not happy with what they're asking me to do at work. And on the very day, the very last day of his employment, he was to go to Washington and, and speak at a, at a banquet. And he was introduced to a man named Doyce Rosser. And that's a little bit in the open Bible history. He was a gentleman that immediately asked Ron to go to India and Africa with him on the last day that he was employed. Never had we thought of foreign missions. Never had we had that in our mind. He called me and said, send my passport. And I asked him if he was having a midlife crisis or losing <laughs> his mind. What yeah. was he doing? <laughs> but that was the beginning. He went He went to India and Africa. He came back. He introduced Doyce to um, the open Bible folks. And uh, nothing really happened for about, except that on the other side of the world, uh, we were reintroduced to Open Bible India. Paul yes. Kent went to a conference in the same time period. And that's why I say there are no accidents. God puts people together that he wants to be together in his time and for his purposes. And Paul Canfield was in India uh, reuniting with the people, the Open Bible people in India. Ron was in Washington, D.C., meeting a new friend that ultimately took him to India and eventually God merged the three and a new adventure began. God is the master choreographer, isn't he? All these things. I know you met uh, John Paul who was with the uh, open Bible work there. And for people who don't know this story, they, we had an open Bible work for many years there. And it, we, w- there was, there was a, a period of time when we kind of lost contact with each other. And it's kind of like they were the lost tribe, so to speak, <laughs> in, in open Bible. And then there was a reconnection that took place. And it was wonderful, wonderful, a new renewed fellowship took place. And it was under the leadership of John Paul. I know you and Ron, you've been loyal partners with John Paul and his family ever since. And uh, what's what's kept you tied to that ministry since Ron's passing? What what really is the thing that really keeps you tied in tight with that? They're my family. Mm. I mean, I've never, never, ever been... Ron and I were blessed when he was an executive with an insurance company to travel the world. We stayed in five-star hotels. We ate and stayed in the finest places, saw saw many countries of the world. And that was wonderful and nice, but there was never, never, uh, I remember in Jamaica, especially driving on a bus through through the poor part of town, going to a hotel that was behind a fence with armed guards and thinking, this is not right. Um, we, we were, we were just called to do something and we knew it and we didn't know what, but we were even brought to open Bible because Ron was involved with athletes that were giving their testimonies in the mm-hmm. schools. And we were invited mm-hmm. to bring a speaker to open Bible in Des Moines. Mm-hmm. And we came and as we walked out the door that day, we looked at each other and said, we're supposed to be here. And he said, did you feel it too? And I said, Yes. And we came and we didn't know why, but we knew we were supposed to be there. And we sat there for five years getting a little annoyed at God because (laughs) you made us leave our church that we love, teaching a Sunday 
school class. And here we are sitting with, oh, yes, we did all the things that the church asked us, you know, the, the projects, the lights, the so forth. But we didn't feel like we were making a difference and the clock was ticking and we were getting older. And why are we here? And then India and retirement. And then we kind of had to apologize and say, okay, I know we're impatient. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's our life story for all of us, isn't it? Always learning that throughout our lives. But was, the connection it, to the people in India, they're wonderful. They, I go there to charge my batteries. I have to uh, tell you because yeah. they're wonderful and they are so close to God. I, I always give a little example that says, I'm sick, call the doctor, get the medicine. It's worse. Go to the, do go to the hospital, uh, you know, oh, and call the prayer chain. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes we as Americans do that. We do. In India, they don't have that. Mm -hmm. In India, I'm sick. Call the pastor. Pray. Come together. A last resort for them as a hospital because they can't afford it. It's just not available to them. They so rely on God for everything in their life. And it is real. And it is purposeful. And it is, you come back embarrassed almost to see yeah, yeah. how we take it for granted and expect so much. We think we have so much to give when actually they are giving so much that we can oh, learn so from much. them. So uh, much. You know, you, you've you mentioned, uh, I think, you know, throughout our conversation station today, the some of the challenges really becoming acute in India. The government is not friendly today. Uh, yeah. toward Christians at all. It's become a very difficult place for Christians there. So in light of that environment right now, Linda, what, what excites you right now, in, light, in spite of all that, about helping the Christians and our family in India? And what's a major challenge that you face today that our people could pray with you about? What excites me most is what I began with, that vision. Um. You know, we always say when people speak in church, there has to be a confirmation of it. You know, when one person knows something, it's even when it's confirmed by another, it's it's more anointed. It's it's more set in stone, so to speak. It's really what God intended. And as I sat there and envisioned the farm, I thought I was just I, I felt that. That's what God wanted. I didn't know that that's what God intended, if that makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And when Priya confirmed it, it excites me to know that after 17 years, her vision, which I've come to rely on that woman so very much, she is a woman of God like none other I've ever known. And I come home humbled so much every time I spend time with her or even on the phone. But that is what excites me what God has intended for that piece of ground. What we can pray about is that we continue to find favor. We have three pieces of property in India that are um, in jeopardy, so to speak, but not really. God has protected them. So many, so many organizations have been uh, sent away from India, shut their bank accounts down, shut their orphanages down. We have escaped. 
We have escaped simply because the people of Open Bible have stayed with me and have helped with the funding. We've had to fence our property. We've had to put up cameras. We've had to put up lights. We've had to hire guards. We've had we've met every one of their objections. And because we have, they're kind of leaving us alone on our property and they're giving us building permits. That's wow. where Bible school is supposed to be built. And we have just gotten word that it should be approved in the next short term. Wow, that's fantastic. So we're a little bit nervous for fears sure. that they might pull the rug out from under us mm -hmm. again. But we finished. They gave us a permit and we finished the boys home. They're giving us a permit to do the Bible school, which will be called a dormitory, <laughs> whatever we have to call it to get That's it right. that property. Yeah. But doors are opening for us on that piece of land, and we want it for a place for our brothers and sisters in India from all over that part of India to come together to build one another. We already had one retreat about two months ago, and over 900 people came there on basically empty ground with one retreat center in a small chapel and had the very best day of, of their lives. So God has opened that door. Mm -hmm. You can help us. All of you can help us by continuing to pray that that door stays open and that more continue to open, that we can build the center, that we can build our oasis in the middle of that Babylon to come together and restore one another, pray together, play together, worship together, be married there if if they will. We have a place where we people can be married and, and have family reunions. That's what we want is a retreat that is safe and to restore to restore our souls. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So people can give if they'd like to help support this work uh, at Open Bible. Go to our MVP Mission Venture Plan um, site there at the openbible.org uh, website, and you will find a place there where you can help support this ministry that Linda's talking about. Linda, if you had to just summarize one or two primary prayer requests, what would you say? Pray that uh, my nuts and bolts can become verbalized in a way even close to Ron. That, <laughs> That's uh, good. That's that really can, good. That I can share the vision as well as he did, mm -hmm. and that I can uh, administer this project that my health will hold out, and uh, I can see it through. Amen. There are going to be people who remember that and are going to be praying for you as a result of your sharing today, Linda. And it's been so wonderful to learn about your journey and you know, the good things that God has been doing. And Ron's legacy continues to live on in India. And uh, you're, you're, you're picking up vision in addition to doing your nuts and bolts work uh, with that ministry. And, you know, we call this, uh, this podcast Better Roads. And as we bring this to a close today, I always like to ask our guests about the better roads they've chosen. Because there are many roads in life, you know, we can take. Some of them not so good, and we we learn from those. And uh, some of them are very good roads. Some are very difficult roads. But, but Linda, are there one or two roads that you have chosen that Linda Wilson chose? You could look back and say, 
you know what? Those were really key for me. They've made such a pivotal difference to who I am and, and what I do today. I'm so thankful that I chose those roads. Well, the first one was marrying Ron. I didn't intend to do that. The first, the second day I met him, he told me we were getting married and I asked him <laughs> why. The nuts that. and bolt person asked that. And he said, God told me. We had to come back from that. Three months later, we were married. But the uh, that was the best decision I ever made because he was truly a man of God and a man of faith and a man of vision. And uh, the second best road, I guess, that I took was one more time following Warren Wilson when I thought he'd lost his mind and retired. But joining Open Bible and following the plan God had for us, following the promptings of that were always within us. We were always prompted. And so we were always seeking to know which door it was and opening lots of them to find the answer to what God had planned for us. So opening doors, marrying Ron. <laughs> you know, I can just see Ron smiling and laughing and saying, keep going, Linda, you're doing a great job. This has been great to learn about your journey today. Thanks so much for coming and sharing with us, Linda. Thank you for having me. I always, uh, I, I never pass an opportunity to talk about India, the wonderful people and the opportunity to come. It's the most populated country in the world. So we have our job cut out for us. Absolutely. Well, again, we thank you and we thank all of our listeners today for being with us as well. And we invite you to join us again next time for another story about Better Roads. You have been listening to Better Roads with Randall Bach, president of Open Bible Churches. Join us next time as we explore how God is part of another person's journey.